Turn with me to Luke, please. Luke 17. Luke chapter 17. I find it important sometimes to return to the uh, Sunday school lessons that we often get, especially as young children. There's nothing... There's actually something very helpful about having these as young children, but I think sometimes because we teach them and know them as children, we fail to look a little more deeply at some of the nuances that are going on in here. So Luke chapter 17, you'll probably guess where I'm going with this, given what we're celebrating this week. But find an interesting story in Luke chapter 17. I'll read the verses 11 through 19, and then we'll continue. It says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And he entered into a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he went to them, or he said unto them, Go show thyselves to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered him, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. So as I said, this is a very common story. Lots of posters growing up. I guess you could say I'm old enough, fondly remember um, Sunday school lessons with flannel graph. Y'all remember that and the little things. Uh, this is, again, a common story. But let's look at it a little bit closer. We see here an account of Jesus as he's traveling. And it says that he's kind of in this unnamed village somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. And he encounters a number of people who have leprosy. The leprosy in modern days is not something we struggle with in this country very often. And those who have had it um, are able to you know, get medication to um, work on its effects. But in that time, it was a horrible disease. One that you could catch if you were too close to somebody. And one where basically your flesh rotted off you until you died. It's as horrible as it sounds. Uh, miserable, painful. You were an outcast of society. You were not allowed to be around any other person. And so often what happened is you had what you would call a leper colony or a group of lepers who would you know, work together and live together since they all had it, trying to support each other and help each other. And so Jesus encountered one of these as he was traveling and entered into this village. And it says that they met him, likely means they kind of interrupted his way, but yet were respectful enough to stay a long ways off. So I don't entirely know exactly how this works, whether they were standing to the side of the road or kind of came out to the roadway and yelled at a distance saying, have mercy on us. They also called him, uh, the King James translates it master, but a better word would be rabbi. They recognized him as someone who was of importance uh, both for teaching and for religious experiences. And they asked for mercy. Now, we don't know anything else about these ten. We know a little bit more about the one. But apparently they'd heard enough somehow to know that Jesus was able to heal them. Perhaps they'd heard of other examples where he had healed 
people with leprosy or blindness or uh, some type of other physical uh, problem. He'd done much of this during his work in his ministry. But they had the boldness to come before him and to shout out as a group saying, have mercy on us. It says, when Jesus saw them, he said unto them, go and show yourselves unto the priests. This is a little bit different than perhaps some other miracles that we've seen where Jesus physically touched someone or interacted with them. It doesn't appear as though he did that. It's also interesting to note that he tells them to go and do something before they're actually healed. This brings up a lot of interesting questions, and this is where I say sometimes we get the Sunday school version of this and we get a quick return as they may have turned to leave and were instantly healed. Or maybe they were healed when they showed themselves to the priest or on their way there. The scripture does not reveal how long this took. We don't know. We have no idea whether Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as soon as they turned to do that, they were healed. If it was when they got to the priests or if it was sometime in between. Now, if they went all the way to the temple in Jerusalem, this is about a 30 hour walking trip. It'll take about two days, probably. About 90 miles to get there. Now, there are probably other priests in between that they could have gone to, but let's just take, for example, roughly about where we think this occurred and roughly if they went back all the way to the Temple of Jerusalem. And so it brings up an interesting question. When, in fact, did they get healed? I can't say for certain, but it could be, again, that they had to walk a day or two or for several hours before they were actually healed. Healed, or it could have been they were healed immediately when they turned to be obedient. Now, why did Jesus tell them to go back and show themselves to the priest? Well, uh, under Hebrew law, Mosaic law in Leviticus 14 and 2, it does tell us that when you must be uh, certified clean by the priest so that you can re enter society. And this is among many laws that were given to the Hebrew people after they came out of uh, bondage in Egypt and the Lord led them through the wilderness and he taught and gave them laws which were recorded, things that they were to do and sacrifices, things they were not to do and how to determine if someone had a disease and they had to uh, leave society or not. And so Jesus was fulfilling the law and saying, you need to go back to the priest and show them to prove to them that you're clean. There is something that is similar about this account that we do see in many other accounts. And I preached a sermon on this a while back. I believe it's titled Collaborating with Christ. And I tried to make the point there that it doesn't seem to be the pattern that God does something to us, but usually with us. Does that make sense? And in this case, there was some collaboration. They had to believe what he said. And they had to take part in that for the healing to occur. Many, many times in our lives, I think we are very content to cry out to God without having the willingness to collaborate with Him to accomplish the goal that He wants. It's easy for us to say, God, help me, and do nothing to do what He tells us to. It's easy for us to cry out to God and say, God, help me, but then not listen to what it is that He wants us to do. It's easy for us to cry out to God and maybe we hear what he wants us to do, but we say, this doesn't make any sense. 
We see Old Testament stories with this too. Nahum came, had the same problem. Prophet told him to go wash in a river. He's like, that's silly, I'm not going to do it. And eventually when he gave in at the behest of his servants, he was healed. And so we see over and over again, and think about this, and I want you to really think about this in life. How often have you cried out to God for something, but not been willing to do even the smallest thing that he commands you to do? How often have you cried out to God for help in something and not listened to what he tells you to do? Now, the peculiar thing, I think, about this is I've read the story, so we know how it ends, but all ten men did were obedient. They all believed enough to approach God himself incarnate in flesh, to ask him for mercy, and to be obedient potentially to a very long walk away from where they probably lived. And again, we don't know exactly when they were healed. Let's assume for just a minute that they had to walk all the way uh, to Jerusalem. Again, about a two-day, three-day walk, about 90 miles. Let's just assume that maybe they weren't fully healed until they were almost to the temple. Now, the Bible says they were all healed, but only one returned. Now, if they had made that two or three day journey all the way there and they were healed about the time they got to the temple, it seems to appear as though they were uh, certified clean according to the Levitical law. But one of them came back. And so, again, I don't know the distance, but I just I want to get rid of maybe a, a or at least challenge a childhood notion that, you know, Jesus says, go to the priest to be cleaned. I turn this way, I'm healed, and I'm the one who turns right back around and says, thank you. It's very possible that it could have taken the one who came back days, a week, to get there and to get back to Jesus. Does that make sense? So I think there's likely some time that occurred here when the rest of them didn't. I think this is our general character of us today. I don't think we're any more grateful than they were then. In fact, I think we're probably a lot less marketably less, perhaps. But it is our character to be very unthankful for things, isn't it? We receive blessings from others, from God, all the time. And how often are we truly thankful for the things that God has done? How often do we go out of our way after receiving a blessing to give thanks for that blessing? Yet God still blesses us. He still blesses us. Earlier in Luke, Luke 6 and 35, Jesus is also speaking. Luke 6 and 35, he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. So what Christ is saying is that if we do good to each other, lend to each other, not expect anything back, etc., etc., that we'll be rewarded for that. But finish the rest of the sentence. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. You see, the reality is God is good and blesses those who deserve it, quote unquote, maybe those who were good and doing good things. He also blesses and is kind to those who don't. Other places in the scripture, it says God causes the rain on both the just and the unjust. 
It may be very easy for us to look out in our society today and somehow look at someone who we would consider being evil or at least not following the ways of God and see great what we perceive as blessings in their lives and somehow think those are marks of God's love. Well, God is faithful and blessing all of us. And so we must be very careful not to assume that because maybe I'm receiving good things that that's God's stamp of approval. Just because we're receiving bad things doesn't mean that's God's stamp of disapproval either. It is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of how we receive and how we respond to these things that we must be very careful of. Now the one returned, let me go back to chapter 17. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. You probably know the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans were outcasts. They were not religious, they were irreligious, and uh, did not worship the one true God. And so there was this uh, divide at the time, rightfully so, between Jesus, between the Jews and the Samaritans. But we see Jesus over and over again breaking that apart and saying this doesn't really matter the way that you think it does. I think it's an insight and an idea that we are allowed to approach him as well. But we see the most least likely of the ten to come back. Is this not true for our lives sometimes when we experience God's grace the most? It impacts us the most. We see this over and over again. Who often gives to the poor the most? Those who have been poor because they understand and they know. This Samaritan, probably having been separated from any religion most of his life and definitely the proper religion, was so impacted by God's grace and God's love that he returned to him to give Thanks. And look at how he did it. He did it publicly. I think this is actually really important and often something that's missed today. It is important for us to give public proclamation before others about how good God is. It's actually really important. We talked about this a little bit during revival. It's important for us to share what God has done for us with a lost and dying world. It's important for us to share what God has done for us with each other. Why? Because it builds all of us up. We can't lose sight of the fact that both before and after this account, who's following him around and watching him? Well, large crowds of people, but also Pharisees and other religious teachers who are trying at every moment they can to trick him into saying something he shouldn't or to accuse him of something he's not guilty of. And all these people are all around him at all times. And here comes this one man who's an outcast of society, who's going to come back with a loud voice and say, God, I didn't deserve any of this, but you have helped me. Thank you. And he falls at his feet in a sign of submission to the rabbi. It's a beautiful picture of how we must come to God. And Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Now I want to pause here for just again. It's hard for us to understand what Christ knew and what he didn't. Being fully God and fully man, I don't understand how those two things mixed. Did he have perfect knowledge? Did he limit himself 
to be more like a man while he was here? If yes, how much? I don't know the answers to these questions. These are questions I'm curious about. But there is one thing that we know that Jesus Christ had emotions. He could be sad. He could be disappointed. Do you think he was disappointed that no one else came back? Is he ever disappointed that you don't thank him? Starts to hurt a little bit, doesn't it? We think about all the times that God has blessed us in our lives, and I don't just mean physically, I mean in a spiritual way as well. How often do we stop and give public proclamation and thanks for what He's done for us? How often do we go out of our way to spend a day or two walking back to God to fall on our face before mankind and say, Thank you? And does that hurt His feelings? a very interesting question. Was he surprised that only one came back? Was he surprised that anybody came back? Did he feel betrayed? Betrayal is a horrible feeling. I mention that frequently because we've all been betrayed in our lives, some of us more deeply than others. But I think oftentimes that's how God might feel about our actions, feeling betrayed. He did a wonderful work for ten people, and only one took the time to thank him. It's not an arrogance issue. It's a legitimate question of the heart. Where is this person's mind? So he asked this and pointed out that, look, only one person came back to give glory to God. Notice he didn't say himself, but glory to God, which is also God. But he's pointing to the Father, as he should. He said it was a stranger in the King James or an outcast. Samaritan. The least likeliest person is the person that comes back. Maybe reminding the others who were there of what they should be doing. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. You see, there are two healings that occurred here. Physical and spiritual. That second part when he says, Arise and go away, thy faith has healed thee, I think that's referring to a spiritual wholeness. That is referring to someone who came back and bowed before the actual living God to praise Him and give Him thanks publicly. And I think that person was saved. That person had faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why he went away whole. You see, you can have great blessings. You could even be physically healed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have been spiritually healed. You can be the richest person in the world and be bankrupt spiritually. You can be the most athletic, fittest person in the world and be bankrupt spiritually. We so often conflate this idea between physical well-being and spiritual well-being, and they don't go together. There are two different things. Are things going well for you right now? Good. Are they going spiritually well? See, that's a different question. And we have to ask ourselves this question. And when we do, we have to seek out the only one who can answer that. And that's Jesus Christ. All ten, I believe, were physically healed. But I think only one was spiritually healed. Now, this is going to be a fairly short sermon today. Some of you asked for that after last week. (laughs) But I want to ask a few questions. 
Are you constantly dwelling on the negative? I struggle with this. I mean, how often do you turn the news on and it's good? Never, because it doesn't sell good things. How often do you get on social media and see good things? Probably not very often. Now, you want to know the real horrible reason behind that? They did experiments about this. It's been probably 10 years ago on Facebook to see what would get you to stay on longer. And making you angry got you to stay on social media longer. So what did they start doing? They purposely give you things to make you angry. It's not a lie. I'm sure they still do it. So how many times do we get sucked into this ungrateful thing, watch the news to see what horrible things, who's died today, who's been betrayed, who's been cheated, what's been stolen, what's been destroyed. We get on social media and it feeds us this stuff to make us angry all the time. And all we end up doing is dwelling on all the negative things in life and we never stop to celebrate the things we should be thankful for. The good things in life. Because God gives us good things. Many times if we would just open our eyes and see them, we would know it. I preached last Thanksgiving, because I looked it up, and I preached on the verse that says that we should be thankful in everything. It didn't say for everything. It says in everything. When we're in adversity, we should be thankful. When we're in plenty, We should be thankful. When we are in want, we should be thankful because we are to be thankful in everything, maybe not for everything. There's a difference, and it's important for us to understand that. So are you dwelling constantly on the negative, or are you thankful for the blessings that God has given you? How has the Lord blessed you this year? Think about it. That's the purpose of this holiday. One of the few that's pure in its religious connotations. It's to be thankful. To be grateful for what God has given us. We could go back and talk about the pilgrims for a minute, but they may have had a good meal that year, but do you think everything was just hunky-dory for them? Absolutely not. That was a hard, hard life. There were still people dying. Still people struggling. Yet they were thankful for what God had given them. It might be easy for us to say, well, Ben, you don't know the year that I've had. And you're right. But I know the God that we serve. And there's room to be thankful. Have you forgotten to be grateful to the Lord? Have you forgotten to be grateful to the Lord? We take so much for granted. I take so much for granted. In all of your doomsday scrolling on social media and movie watching and news, does it ever cause you to be thankful? Do you ever stop and look at someone else's life and say, wow, I'm thankful for what I have? I do. Maybe because I've seen a fair bit of it more than some of the rest of you in my past career, but gosh, I look back sometimes and I'm like, wow, I am fully blessed. In many, many ways. I'm thankful for it. Have you been grateful to the Lord? Have you been expressed thanks for the spiritual things? And I want to take just a second to talk about this. 
It's very easy at this time of year to fall into the same routine and trap that the rest of the country, if they're celebrating, celebrates. And they're thankful for the food, which is appropriate. They're maybe thankful for their house, which is appropriate. Thankful for their church, which is great too. What are you thankful for spiritually? See, that's the difference. The one who came back understood what went on, and he went back and he was thankful, and there was a spiritual thanks. Do you think he was happier when he got up off the ground after Jesus forgave his sins than when he lay down? Yes, he was. He got blessed twice. He was healed physically and spiritually. What are you spiritually thankful for? We could list all kinds of things physically, but I'm serious. What is it spiritually that you're thankful for? I'm thankful for some of the testimonies and lives of people who've gone on this year to be with their Lord. Because it makes a lasting difference. What are we thankful for? And lastly, I want to know, are we publicly thankful? Are we publicly thankful? This is important. This man came back and in front of everyone was thankful. He... So don't miss the context here. Being a Samaritan, he didn't belong there. But he went back risking the shame, risking the public condemnation, probably fighting against all the insults and slurs that people tell him to get out of their village, go away, you don't belong here. And he did all of that to go back and publicly praise God. You don't have to do that today here. Maybe you do at work. Maybe we should. Maybe we should praise God at work and risk the potential shame that it might bring on you. But at least this is a safe place. All the more reason we should praise God publicly when we are together for the physical, but I think more importantly, the spiritual things that he has done for us. I want to close with one last verse, or a couple of verses in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Read verse 14 through 15. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. I've shared some of these recently. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. A different translation says, which bonds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what love is. Verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. So we have bookends here. Let the love of God be everything that bonds us together. And in all of those things, when we are in one body, united with God, and let us be thankful. Brothers and sisters, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to be a thankful people. Are we? But it goes on. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace, or another translation says thankfulness, in your hearts to the Lord. 
So not only are we to have everything uh, bonded together in love and be thankful for what God has given us, but what we say and do, whether we're singing or praising, whether we're saying it out loud or in our hearts, we are to have a posture of thankfulness to God. And then in verse 17, it sums it up. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So that's three times in this great summary verse we have here of how we are to behave as believers. We are told three times to give thanks to Him. So let me ask these questions again. Are you constantly dwelling on the negative? What and how has the Lord blessed you? What in and how has the Lord blessed you? Have you forgotten or neglected to be grateful to the Lord? Do you consider the spiritual blessings that he's given you? And are you publicly thankful? 